Authenticity, curiosity, intimacy. These are important for success in your personal life. But they are also the foundations of a new mindset leading to true success, fulfillment, and happiness in business. A New Business Mindset is a series of conversations with business leaders in which they share the importance of real business relationships founded and based upon authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy. It is a show in which we learn how to cultivate a new business mindset and become more successful, fulfilled, and happy in our own careers. And now, here are your hosts. And welcome once again to the show. I am especially looking forward to this week's show. We have a good old friend coming back to join us, actually for the third time. It's going to be a a really lovely conversation. Before we get into that, though, Todd, any reflections on last week's conversation before we get going? Yeah, we chatted with uh, Sarah Robinson-Chambliss. It was yet another conversation about how and why to live mindfully, which is always, in my view, a very important conversation to have. But she said one thing that really struck me, and it's the idea that most people are not living their lives. Their lives are living them. And that was, I thought, it was a very profound statement that I think applies to most everyone that's listening to this show. So that was a very intriguing conversation about living mindfully. Like you, I always find conversations on that topic particularly relevant. It's no accident. We have several of them on this show. And yeah, there were a lot of nice little messages in that conversation. We will move quickly into today's conversation, though, because, uh, as I say, it's a dear old friend, Mr. Roy Craft, is rejoining us. Roy's had a long and varied career across technical, retail, automobile, nonprofit, higher education, etc. He's had uh, done a lot of different things. He's recently moved to Jacksonville, Florida. He is the president of Group Space LLC, and uh, is just an altogether wonderful guy. Roy, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be with you today. So start by telling us a little bit about this latest chapter in your life. What are you up to and what's going on? Well, uh, about a year ago, I started the process towards this chapter. And in reflecting back about every 10 to 12 years, there has been kind of a major shift in my career and my life. And, and it usually does take about a year to, to sort it out. And if I'm lucky, I stay in the question as long as I can possibly stand it. And your being on these shows with you has also been a very helpful thing for me to reflect on life and the journey and where I'm at and where the world is at. But what um, really decided is this next chapter, although we'll be involved in both projects in Atlanta and projects in Jacksonville, already connected with a number of people. Jacksonville. But it's also a time when I'm going to finally demand of myself that I start writing intentionally more about what I have done and why I've done what I've done and share it. I've been asked for many years and I've just put it off and now is the time to do that. So that sounds really exciting, Roy. And it's, it's in some ways, I guess, a reward for all the many, many things you've done. I'd like to talk about a couple of different things and you and I uh, compared some notes beforehand about this. So I'd like to talk about a couple of things with you today. And you kind of teed this up yourself, uh, how different the world is today. And it is in many ways. I mean, in, in many ways, people are people and they always have been and always will be. But we're in a very different world. And um, that offers some interesting challenges and interesting opportunities for all of us. You've gone through a period of reflection over the last, certainly over the last year since we last spoke on this, first spoke on this show. So share some of your thoughts, Roy, about what that means. You know, I know it's very 
popular from time to time for people to talk about how different things are. And oftentimes, it's an interesting discussion, but whether it truly is significant or minor or just a minor phenomenon, but several things that I've reflected on either reread or read recently to kind of help me make sense of where the world is indicate to me that we're in the midst of probably one of the most profound shifts in, you know, probably 500 years. And it's due to a number of things. I know that um, Steve Case from AOL has just written a book on the third wave of the internet, but he's paying homage to Alvin Toffer, who wrote a book called The Third Wave back in 1980, where he talked about this move from an agricultural to an industrial to this, this new information age. But I think what's the, probably the most striking thing is I was reading a, a book a couple of years ago by Richard Florida called The Rise of the Creative Class. And he, he did this sort of hypothetical. What if you took a person from 1900 and plopped them down into a 1950 world? And then you also took a person from 1950 and plopped them into a, you know, early 2000s, you know, our time period world. Who would have the bigger shock? And he goes through all the various things that would be different. And he makes the case that although that 1900 person in 1950 would see airplanes and see you know, automobiles and things that didn't exist when he was living in 1900, the way the world worked, the social order, the cultural norms were pretty much the same. But that poor soul from 1950 in today's world would be befuddled by the diversity the, the changes, you know, the rapid changes that we've had. Feminism has made a huge impact on our lives. Technology has changed not only the sort of physical world, but how we think, how we learn, how we communicate, and the sharing of power and the inclusiveness and the mobility of people. We now are in a world where there are 60 million expatriates living and working in some place other than where they're from, and that's growing at a annual compounded rate of two and a half percent so that the world has come to everywhere. The world has come to Atlanta. It's come to Jacksonville, Florida. It's there, but are we ready for it? And some of us are and some of us are not. And so what I've been kind of looking at is with all of that, how many of the things, how many of the assumptions about how life works that I used to rely on really no longer make sense. And this has been really profound. I have two children who are millennials, early 20s. And when I think about, you know, wanting to give them life and career advice and thinking, you know, if I give the things that I've given in the past or that were given to me, they may really no longer be relevant, that their world is so dramatically different that it's um, some of the, the ways of, of looking at the world really need to be um, retake stock of. So. Talk for a minute, think for a minute about the implications of this, of what you're talking about, Roy, for middle-aged business person who's sitting in, you know, their, their cube, their workspace in the large corporate world and kind of thinking, you know, maybe there's something I can do that's a little more fun than this. Maybe I need to be looking at life a little differently. What does this mean for that person who, of course, is our listener? Well, I think it's, it's similar a number of years ago, about 10 or so years ago, when I was at the Regional Council of Churches, which was a, a nonprofit organization, and it was coming from a largely 30-year business career, it was a big difference for me to be in the nonprofit world. And 
I was doing that when the Katrina event happened in New Orleans that had a big impact on Atlanta, where 100,000 people moved here in a couple of weeks. And we were scurrying around trying to figure out how to serve all these people. And it, it, was a, it was a wonderful time of coming together. I had breakfast this morning with Rob Johnson, who's just retired from the food bank. And we were talking about, and he was mentioning that he's putting together a little talk for his 29 years at the food bank. What are his top 10 experiences? And that Katrina experience was one of them. During that period, I had a number of those mid-career people come to me who were volunteering from big consulting firms and big corporations, banks, and they'd come up to me and say, could, could, could I talk to you for a few minutes after our meeting? I said, sure. I said, I'm volunteering for 30 days or 90 days to help out with this, but I don't really want to go back to my day job. I'm having so much fun doing meaningful work, serving to people. And they say, how did you do it? And I said, well, making a major shift is not easy. It's not for everyone to just dramatically shift from their career and their day job to something new. But if you're feeling that you want to experiment, experiment by volunteering or experiment by doing something different. We have a tendency to get in a rut of our job and our career and our life. And one of the things I've been doing is rereading things that I read 30, 40 years ago to kind of look at it. And one of the things that's been very much inspirational to me is some of the early Chinese philosophers who were not talking about, you know, find out who your authentic self is or, you know, follow your bliss, find your passion, which is kind of an internal journey. But they're saying life is messy and you are really formed by those people and things that you bump up against. So go bump up against some new people. Go do something out of the ordinary, which is one of the reasons why my wife and I are moving, you know, have moved to away from Atlanta, where we've been for a third of my life, to a new place to be sort of on an exploration, on a, a journey of discovery. And it's a critical move. I want to explore that further, Roy, as to why and how you make that kind of change. And I think you indicated at the top of the show that that's a, that's a journey you take uh, probably every decade or so is making a, a fundamental shift in how you live your life. And, and, and Gareth, I'll answer your question. I think most people listening to this aren't paying attention to this fundamentally changing world, let alone do they have any grasp of how that's affecting them. And I think that's part of the problem is that they need to be more aware and think that through. But, but Roy, I think it comes back to this idea of, yeah, life's messy. And for most of my life, that bothered me and I didn't like it. And it wasn't until I learned how to embrace that and say, that's how it's supposed to be. And that's when life becomes interesting and fun. You and I have both recently made a major shift where we moved from one city to another. I didn't need to move to Chicago. We wanted to because we wanted to change things up. We wanted a new adventure. We wanted to explore new things, see things from a new perspective. Most people listening will never have the courage to do that. Despite the fact, as you said, that there's so the, the pace of people no longer living where they're from. I mean, there was a time when you never leave your home, never left your hometown. Right. Uh, you know, nowadays, uh, travel is still very rampant and there's more and more people traveling and moving around, but there's still too many people stuck in one place. This leads all to my question is this fundamental shift that you've just made, this big change that, that you said was a year in the making and thinking it through and reflecting. Most people don't know how to do that. Can you walk us through the steps and the process that you went through to make this and frankly embrace and empower this, this big shift of yours? Well, I think uh, David White talks about the journey of vocation is crossing an unknown sea. 
we don't really know what's on the other side, but we have to set out. So for example, what I decided to do then, and I've made a similar decision, I decided to stop what I was doing. Now that's a pretty abrupt beginning. You know, some of those people that, you know, wanted to say, how do I make the change out of my career into doing something of meaning? You know, for a lot of people, it's a real hard thing to just stop, you know, depending on, you know, your mortgage and your kids in college and all those kind of things. There's a great book on people who made that change by a guy by the name of Poe Bronson. And he interviewed like several hundred people who had, you know, been a corporate lawyer and then became a musician or did something really radical. And he found that lots of those people talked about it for years and fantasized about it, but most of them only made it when something really drastic happened, death, divorce, illness, something, or got fired, something to, that really happened. Well, in a sense, the universe is conspiring with those of us who are have a hard time making those decisions because disruptions to corporate environments are happening at an ever more frequent basis. And so that there, people are given opportunities. Their company is acquired. It's downsized. It's all kinds of things are happening. And all my reading has shown me that's going to accelerate. You know, the, the era of that stayed career and stable stability that we've, uh, some people have, have uh, relied on. It's just not part of the future. And you can view that as a scary thing. A friend of mine wrote a, a, a fascinating book right before the turn of the millennium called The 500-Year Delta. And he said, you know, we're going through a shift as big as the one from the age of faith to the age of reason, enlightenment. And now we're moving into, and he gave it a dual name. It's the age of chaos and the age of possibility. As we look at the person we identified in our audience sitting in their office looking around and kind of intimidated by all of this, uh, which is easy to happen. It strikes me from what you're saying and from my own observations, I think Todd would agree with this too, that whether somebody decides to up and move, whether somebody decides to grasp this and take the initiative, change is happening to them anyway. And it's happening ever faster. The, you know, the rapidity of corporate change being an example you identified. But I want to go back to one of those in particular, and then obviously take this where you like, Roy, but one of those in particular is culture. You mentioned uh, women's liberation, but we've also had uh, you know, civil rights movements and LGBT, transgender, same-sex marriage. We've got uh, a lot around Islam and uh, Islamophobia in the news, particularly around the presidential campaign these days. I mean, it's very high profile, but whether you like it or not, it's there. Right. And it's not all change in one direction. And every time there is major change, there's also a counterpoint. There's a resistance to the change. And it's very strong. Uh, it may not have historically lasting value because there is, uh, in my estimation, there's a lot of truth to the, the long arc of history goes towards justice. It goes in a progressive direction. So the people who are trying to put their head in the sand and go back to, you know, a time that some people say never happened, a time of American, you know, stability and homogeneity and whatever. Well, it, it was good for some people, but it wasn't nearly as good as for everyone as, as some of the people romanticize about. But, you know, I, I draw some comfort in the words of E.O. Wilson, who, uh, He's the founder of evolutionary biology, and he describes the human condition this way. We have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and near godlike technology. And his conclusion, we're a dysfunctional species. 
So get over it, get used to it, deal with your own emotions, re realize that they're almost reptilian. Our anger, our, you know, our fear, or those things. If you're not working in a community or working by yourself to tame your anxiety, this is going to be a rough road ahead. You know, you need mindfulness training. We, we need it in the school system because it's a stressful world. But you also need to take some kind of, I think the term you used the last time we got together, you know, a walkabout. People right. need to figure out how to go on a walkabout, whether it's a vacation. Like when I went to Costa Rica, I really fell in love with the place I visited. So every time I hear someone going to Costa Rica, I said, don't just go and be another tourist going on zip line and going to the beach. Go visit Earth University and see people transforming lives from Africa and Latin and Central America through an educational model that's unique and see how they do it on a banana plantation. Go do something radically different. Go serve and go volunteer on a vacation instead of just go to a resort. So those are a couple of concrete things that folks can and I would argue should do. You know, it's it's really easy to get stuck in our way, stuck in our little job and our little world. But being very intentional about going somewhere different and going on a walkabout and making sure it's not just a vacation, but we're looking at something different. Uh, we're looking at places where lives are being transformed, as you put it, Roy. And then proactively volunteering. And that's something you can do every day, you know, every week, every month, every weekend. And you don't have to go anywhere. There's plenty of, of people doing amazing stuff here in Atlanta that you can get involved with. And where people need the knowledge and wisdom and expertise and skills that folks have, whether you're volunteering at a school or for a food bank. It's almost, as a famous cartoon Ogo once said, I'm surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. Yes. If you want to serve, you can do it every day and go to a different place every day. Yeah, you don't have to move. You don't have to change jobs uh, to fundamentally alter your perspective on the world. And that's a key point, too, is, is that you can just do things differently. It's still, it's all, it all comes down to a mindset, doesn't it? Even though you may move your physical location, it's still all, really all about mindset, right? Yeah, and I think different people have different requirements. I've, I'm a gypsy, and I come from a long line of gypsies, and so does my wife. You know, my father and mother were both born in New York City, but... I was born in San Francisco and, you know, we moved around a bunch of times, went to Alaska and, you know, we, we just lots of different places. My wife, I think, lived in 20 different places by the time she was a teenager because her dad was an expatriate. So it's kind of in our blood to go try out a new place. But for some people, you can go. There's a, a wonderful young woman who has a nonprofit here in town called Go Eat Give, where she takes mm. people on trips overseas and they volunteer for a nonprofit overseas. So there's lots of opportunities to do it, but I think the important is to do something. I'll take this in a different direction, Roy, which I think is a complementary one and one that fits with where we're, we've been headed here. Okay. Creativity and the arts. We've been in a world for quite some time now where there's a lot of emphasis on STEM education. And while obviously, well, not obviously, I certainly uh, accept there's a lot of value in that. But it, the A is missing out of STEM, and STEAM is the obvious acronym. But I've, I'm wondering about your thoughts on how, when, and kind of where art, creativity comes back in to our lives. Well, I think, first of all, we have kind of had an artificial division between the arts and the sciences that's really a modern 
even second half of the 20th century invention. Because if you go back and actually look in the museum at the archaeological artifacts from any civilization, they're a combination of technology of the time and their art. You know, they might be pottery shards that are a vessel for carrying water, but they're beautifully illustrated. We, and if you look at developments in art and technology, there was always art in technology and technology in art. We got, I think, our, our problem arose when we started to say we educate differently for STEM than we do for the arts. Where I got involved a number of years ago with the, the maker community, and we're now going to have our sixth Maker Fair Atlanta in, in Decatur. And then in the next year, 2017, we're going to move to South Downtown Atlanta, where it's creativity that merges technology or STEM with the artistic expression of building something unique and, and in a sense, beautiful. Yeah, it, it feels almost like it, beyond the um, separation of art and the sciences, where your comment took me, Roy, we are in an increasingly polarized world, maybe. Uh, we, we look for ways to separate things. It's a very analytical approach to life. And there seems to be an opportunity here for us and almost a need for us as we move into this new age to reintegrate, to reintegrate our lives as well as reintegrate the arts and sciences. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's partly because this explosion, you know, I mentioned Alvin Toffler a little while ago. Well, in 1970, he wrote the book uh, Future Shock, and he coined the term information overload. Well, we're living in information overload today. And I find that people are are overwhelmed in just knowing one discipline or just knowing one job. And part of it is they don't know how to integrate their life or they don't know how to even separate the wheat from the shaft, the important from the unimportant, because you can get drowned in the unimportant. And what you need to be able to do, and that's where you know any great creative mind, any artist, spends a lot of time just reflecting. Well, so does a scientist. You know, you, you do a lot of research, you read widely, but you have to have time to just, well, I call it letting things percolate, but that's really an, an integration process where, you know, I may read dozens of things and do research on something, but then I have to spend a lot of time, whether it's thinking while I'm driving in the car or taking a walk, I have to let all the ideas marinate in the stew of what I already know and who I am with what new information I process because that's and that's part of this steam kind of approach is that we're constructivists every idea is a creation and if you and I hear the same bit of information we're going to create something different out of it well we need to say that's okay and that's okay in the classroom because it's a learning even about mathematics is an artistic experience. Well, I just think it's really important here to reference how important creativity and or appreciating the arts is to, a common theme of this conversation has been how to make this change and how to how to recognize change in the world and how to have that impact and force your own change, that, which will have dramatic impacts on how you live your life. But if you've been paying attention to, to what Roy's been saying, I mean, one of the reasons you made this move was that you wanted to write more. And that's kind of feeding this creative urge. And, you know, the other thing I want people to recognize, I mean, Roy, uh, we're 
probably a little bit more than halfway through this conversation, you've already referenced 300 different books. And that's part of how you understand and appreciate what's going on in the world is that you are, I mean, book writing, writing is an art form and, and consuming the, the books of others is, is appreciating art, if you will. And that's, that's a process that's informing you as to what's happening in the world. And, and so, I, you know, we talked earlier about you don't have to move your physical location to change your, your viewpoint in the world and to recognize what's going on in the world. But I think just the creative act and appreciating creative acts, appreciating the arts, sometimes, in my view, can be all you need to do to have a, a whole new look on the world. Well, before people traveled widely, if you go back to, you know, when, when we were children or even beyond, when, when travel was really a luxury and a lot of people didn't do it, you traveled by getting lost in a good book. And you read about Rudyard Kipling or you read about, you know, explorers. I remember in third grade being, uh, I was a slow starter and my third grade teacher introduced me to a whole series of biographies, Andrew Carnegie and, you know, just business people and explorers and different people, Henry Ford, just a whole variety of people. And I read that entire library because it was like I could go on a trip. I could go on an adventure just by reading that book. I think this is perhaps one of the changes that's happening in our world that to our generation might not be really obvious, but I think to my kids' generation and Roy, your kids' generation, it's just the way they see the world. I'm wondering whether this reintegration is already happening in the millennial generation. And I'll give you a couple of data points that make me think that. One is what I take to be an attitude to work and livelihood where millennials don't just want to go work somewhere. They want to go work somewhere where they do something meaningful. And they also, they juxtapose or they bring together things that our generation just wouldn't find natural. Uh, the extent to which news and humor are combined with, you know, The Onion and Stephen Colbert, Daily Report, whatever, yep. is quite extraordinary. So I think this, this may already be happening under our noses. I think it's definitely, I, and, I, and I've, you know, been in higher education in the last 10, 12 years, so I've had a chance to talk with, mentor, uh, not only my own children, but a number of other folks who are younger, and I've noticed that they they didn't take themselves nearly as seriously as I did at their age, and they were also not willing to put up with, you know, being a slave to their job or being, a, you know, to, to just dedicate their entire life to a career is they want more out of life, and they're willing to demand it. Um, you know, you see some some things written about millennials that's a little bit derogatory, but I think it's really some that are our age that are really misinterpreting because they're trying to fit them into our world. And the world is different, and they're carving out their own. And you're right. When I look at my my kids, their integration of, of music and technology in with their both their work life and their their private life and even their sort of entertainment life is much more robust than mine ever was so One, because the technology enables it but they they demand it they demand it and i think if we go back to the person we identified that poor sap we've stuck in a cube somewhere that person we, we identified earlier in this conversation there may be it, it may be that looking at that millennial generation and trying to take lessons from the way that this integration is happening and bring that into their own life has some value as well and, and I think whether it's the way they're doing it or, you know, the kind of the way that some of us who are older have done it, again, you go back to some of these um, 
fourth, fifth century Chinese philosophers, there's one that uh, talks about this idea of train spontaneity, that the ability to train yourself to get better. So it's like find a hobby, whether it's playing the guitar or wood carving or that you you train yourself uh, playing tennis or whatever it might be. You sort of train yourself to get better at something not to become an expert and stay doing that for the rest of your life, but just to, to do something different. But you're, you're, you're on a learning curve. It takes a certain amount of time, a certain amount of discipline and dedication, but that exercise will change your perspective on what you bring to what you're doing for your work, but it'll also change your perspective on your life and career. I had a, a wonderful experience. I went up to Berry College and I, too long ago and they happened to have an art exhibit of the paintings of winston churchill and we were talking about leadership and i went started to think about all the the great leaders that i have read about and almost all of them had some sort of artistic hobby yeah to break to, to totally totally 180 degrees away from what their job was but it helped feed their soul but it gave them perspective and i think no matter what age, we need to do those kind of things. And some of us need a bunch of them. Some can master one and, and take it for a long ride. Others need, you know, a lot of different ones over time to fill up our toolbox with, with new perspectives and new tools. And there are so many different ways of doing things like this. I mean, you've talked about the make affair, Roy, and I know that's something you've, you've given a lot of time and energy to over the last several years. That is a very obvious place where creativity and technology come together, where intentional innovation and artistic talent come together with uh, the, you know, the engineering side of things. And it's, it's something that has the potential to just completely change the world. And there, there are things popping up all over the place. I've recently spent a bit of time with a friend of mine looking at blockchain, which sounds extremely esoteric. But if you look into it, that also has the potential to completely change disaggregate and fragment business. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many opportunities out there to just go do something completely different for a change. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, business has sort of fallen in love with the idea of disruption. But disruption for the sake of disruption is not necessarily the goal. Right. Um, kind of like in the area of people, diversity is not the goal. It's the starting place. Disruption is not the goal. It's the starting place to say, okay, what do we learn from it? What can we, how can we innovate from it? And sometimes our learning is that it didn't work. But to take on that sort of joyful experimentation, that sort of um, let's just see what we can do. There, there are some you know, people for years, um, Peter Senge and, and his uh, mentor, Ari de Geis from Royal Dutch Shell, used to talk about always having some people at the fringes, even of a very large company, who were mavericks who would be given the free reign to go out and just be sort of uh, creative, destructive types to sort of hack the organization because that learning will influence the entire, even if it's a multinational corporation, you need that. We need it in our own lives, but we also, you know, large organizations need it. There's kind of a spiritual question that is forced upon us, I think, as we reflect on the speed of change and what it is by definition doing to our, our lives, there is no conceivable way that anybody who has more than 10 years left in their career or work life 
will in 10 years be doing what they're doing today. So, you know, no amount of planning can really fully prepare you for where you're going to end up. It's a journey and it, it poses that spiritual question. So if I don't know where I'm headed, what really is the purpose here? And changes, it puts us in a place where it becomes more natural, perhaps, to reflect on the meaning and purpose of our life and what we do every day. Well, I, I think we, we kind of got, you know, in this very technological, scientific second half of the 20th century, in a rut where we thought that we were developing a plan to execute it and live out the plan. But, you know, I'm always reminded that Dwight Eisenhower said, it's not the plan that's important, it's the planning. You can revise the plans mm. over and over again, but the process of planning is an important one. And what you do with a, any kind of planning that you might do is you do an environmental scan to see what's happening in the world, what's happening inside our organization or inside my life or my career. What would I like to try? What are a couple scenarios? And then you figure out this scenario could go this way. But it's not that you're going to come up with the ideal solution, but you're more likely to come up with an awareness and a receptivity that when the solution meets you on the road, like it did with me in Jacksonville, it was like I was on this journey and I was moving towards something. I didn't know what it was. We're down there viewing this beautiful city. And I looked over at Kimberly and I said, what are we waiting for? So in a sense, that experience, but I wouldn't have been ready for it if we hadn't been going through all this preparation to say, we're on the road to somewhere. Well, a colleague of mine calls this think and do. Now, most people are thinking and they think and they think and they think, but they never actually take any action on it. Right. And then there's the other the other side of it where people just take blind action without putting a lot of thought behind it, and they, it ends up not well, right? And so the whole idea is just think and do. So think on it, prepare. I mean, as you, let's talk about your your move to Jacksonville. That was a year long process for you guys to go through that process and make that decision. But then but you the did. decision happened very quickly. You know, there was a lot behind it, but it wasn't planning to go to Jacksonville. It was planning that we wanted something else. But when it appeared, it was kind of like. Then things fell into place. And that's when you have to trust your intuition and trust the, the feeling that, you know what, this feels right. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's also an exercise of your emotions and your passions and even your, your soul. This, we're running out of time in a minute here, Roy, which is really <laughs> kind of unfortunate because we're kind of just getting into some stuff here. But I do want to explore this, this particular bridge just a little more. Todd's think and do. You said a little bit about it, but how do we make that movement from thinking, 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 thinking into doing? Because it's really easy to act prematurely or act without thought or wisdom and to have bad outcomes. It's also really easy to stay, once you get into this thinking process, to just stay stuck in it. Well, I've found several things helpful in that, and I think that there's an iterative process between these different, is I read widely. I always have uh, for 45 years or so that I, I read about two books a week, but I read on psychology, history, business, you know, STEM. You know, I read on all different kinds of disciplines, but I'm also just, I'm, um, I'm a voracious sort of, vacuum for information because I'm just curious about so many different things. So I'm constantly sort of scanning the waterfront to see what's happening, what's new. The other one is that I I reflect deeply on things. So I, I spend a lot of time thinking, what does this mean? And 
what is this new book that I've read or this new perspective? And so I spend that's that's kind of my my private alone time. But the other piece is I have developed a very large network of people. And to me, that network is is a crucial part of my process of both investigation and reflection. Some people say that if you go back to 1970, the average person's knowledge of what they needed to do their work was about 85% what they learned in school and what they learned on the job. If you go to today, it's about 85% that knowledge of what you need is in your network. It's not what you possess. It's who do you know? And where I usually start a project is I do research, but I call who do I know that might know about this? And I share and go back and forth and sort of within that network. And um, Karen Stevenson wrote some amazing articles about the quantum theory of trust, that networks of trust are really what make the world work. So you get people who trust and respect one another. Those are the people you can share what you're thinking about with. And I always have kind of like an informal board of advisors or board of directors for my life that I share what am I thinking with and vice versa so that I'm not thinking and thinking and they can hold me accountable and say, well, what are you going to do about it? Or they're saying, you know what? You haven't thought this through enough. Have you thought about this? So you do your own reading, you do your own thinking, but also you share it widely with other people. Yeah, Todd, we had the idea of a personal board of advisors came up in a previous show. I don't recall exactly when, but it um, it really is very, very powerful for this, Roy. Oh, no, it's a it's a common thing nowadays, in my view. Well, let me rephrase that. At least with the successful people who have purpose in their life is that they have this board of advisors as informal as it needs to be to rely on for that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a that's so critically important. Well, Roy, this has just been a wonderful conversation. There's been an awful lot in here. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's uh, a pleasure. And even though, you know, Todd is in Chicago and, you know, I'm now in Jacksonville, you know what? That's the beauty of the technology. We're only a, a Skype call away. Aren't we though? Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. How can uh, people get a hold of you if they want to explore your thinking and what you have to offer and what you're up to a little bit more? Well, you can always email me at roycraft51 at gmail or call me on my cell phone, 678-481-1028. Outstanding. Once again, Mr. Craft, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, sir. Best so, to both of you. And thank you. So from our guest, Roy Craft, from my co-host, Todd Schnick, and from myself, Gareth Young, it has been another wonderful conversation this week. Take away some uh, thoughts from Roy. Maybe build yourself a board of advisors. Maybe uh, take a trip or volunteer. See what you can do in this next week that will change things up a little for you. Till next time. You have been listening to A New Business Mindset, a radio show about the importance of authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy in business. Catch other great conversations and to learn more about the show, please visit us on newbusinessmindset.com. If you liked what you heard and to really help us out, it'd be great if you'd visit and leave a review on iTunes. So thanks again for listening. A new business mindset will return next week.